Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Well, um, today's title is The Word and Worship. And as I, as I quickly scan the room, I can see that there's a something going on within your, your facial expressions. You're saying, wow, this is this is amazing, this is brilliant, this is this is tremendous. Whoa, yeah, just calm down. It's, it's okay. You think you Russell, you've really nailed it. That that message that just shouts inspirational. Oh, and that that thought that's still lingering inside your mind right now is, is, is just this morning's message was exactly what I really needed to hear. In fact, you're still saying to yourself, I can hear it right now, you're still saying to yourself, this could be the game changer I've been looking for. And if all that is what you're really thinking, you'd be correct. If not for one tiny detail, which Pastor Christian already gave away. The credit for today's message has to go to Pastor Christian. It's part one of C3 November 3. So uh, the worship in the Word. Let's uh, let's just spend a moment or two looking at this title. Now, let's look at worship first. Meaning of worship to honour or show reverence as a divine or uh, being or supernatural power. I don't know. I find that a little deep. Let's go to the Word. What Word? What word are we talking about? Well, there's another word that will help us understand the word in the title of today's message, and that word is contextualise, meaning to place something in such a word or activity uh, in, in a context. So the context here this morning is that we're purposely here gathered together to worship our God. Is that right? Yeah. We agree on one thing? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, that's good. Because <laughs> I'm getting schooled on this. I've just heard uh, there's some cards coming up. And, yes. Um, we, we're, we're a church. We're a family of believers, Christian believers. And we believe that the Holy Bible is the inspired words of God. So back to today's title. We must make a clear and logical connection between the word and worship. And we will. But here's the thing. What if you're a visitor here today? I didn't look around to see whether there were visitors here, but I see a few faces I'm not all that familiar with. So <coughs> what, what if you're a visitor here? What, what if you haven't grown up in a Christian family? What, what if you are not a regular attendee at local church services? What if you've never been to a Christian convention? What if you don't listen or watch any Christian broadcasts? What if you're just beginning your spiritual journey? You're just, you're just on the lookout for, for some truth. You're trying to discover yourself and you're trying to discover things of the Spirit, maybe. Or what if you've already got a relationship with Jesus, but you just never got quite into studying the Word carefully? And why are these questions important anyway? Because the Word in today's message, title, the Word is God's gift to us. And it's purely there. It's exclusively there. For our benefit. God doesn't need his word. We do. It's a gift. But here's a reality check. Some of us seem to struggle to believe everything that's written in the Bible. It's fine. So let's just get into this and see what happens. Oh, I cave at first. Um, Just always put the legal disclaimers up. Um, 
apart from when I quote uh, direct, directly from the Bible, uh, what I share today is just my opinion, my studies, my experience, my understanding, and my questions, all of which is limited and perfect. But today, tragically, I'm all you've got. So let's continue. And by the way, um, there's a lot to get through today, so I've decided that... Uh, given that I may never get an opportunity to share with you again, I'm going to try and speak faster than I normally do. The Bible consists of how many books? 66. How many writers? 40. Uh, from different nations, from different languages, over 1,500 years. Man, I've just finished something that I thought was, you know, kind of took me a long time, and I'm talking just like less than two years. 1,500 years. That's, that's something else. And yet it has one continual storyline right, running right throughout. And the only credible answer for this is the Bible simply must have one ultimate author, God. The Bible, in just two words, the Bible's genre, in just two words, love story. This is God's love story. It really is. You probably know that the book uh, is the the Bible is sorry the most read book in the world. Ten years ago, writer James Chapman created a list of the most uh, read books in the world based on the number of copies uh, uh, each book sold over the last fifty years. So we go back to nineteen fifty eight. The Bible won and won by a distance. You're looking at this, so that's can't possibly be true. His publishers just looking at it right now, saying, but it is. It's 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 accurate. God's love story. It's the most printed, most sold, most distributed, and most read book in the whole wide world of all time. It's been translated into more than 800 translations. Ah, man. And like any great love story, it must have an intriguing start, an engaging middle section, and an ending that you never forget. And the Bible meets all three criteria. But unlike many other love stories, the Bible is not a novel. It's not fiction. It's not just an historical record. It's not just a philosophy or a theory. It's not just a construct of poetry and ideologies. Indeed, if you have to come up with a tagline for today's title or an old speaker subtitle, it would be easy. You take seven words from the middle section of the Bible, so you'd have the title which says the word and worship, and the tagline would read the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. But consider this. That all hinges, that all hinges on the first four words of the most extraordinary love story. The first book of the Bible is aptly named Genesis. It consists of 50 chapters and over 32,000 words. But for the moment, you're saying thankfully, we'll focus on just the first four words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Let's break those words up. Look at the meaning of each word. In. By the way, why not at? Why not at the beginning? Why not upon the beginning? Why not around the time of the beginning? Why not it all begin with? Why not? Because it's God's love story. And he can choose to write it any way he wants. Why not? Because God doesn't want us to get ripped off. He wants us to know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The standard definition of the word in, expressing the situation of something that is or appears to be enclosed or surrounded by something else. The second word, the. Definition used to point forward to the following qualifying or defining word, clause, or phrase. The third word, beginning. The point in time or space 
at which something begins. And you're right there thinking, oh, this is pretty simple. You're going to get into something a bit deeper. Well, <coughs> wait, there's more. Uh, notably, over 783,000 words later, towards the end of the Bible's um, last chapter of its last book, the book named Je uh, Revelation, chapter 22, verse 13, we read, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the what? The first and the last? The beginning and the end, the first and the last, sorry. Um, why begin the Bible with the word in over all alternatives? Because we cannot fully imagine or comprehend eternity with our current state and worldly mind. We see life as, as a timeline, a beginning and an end. The idea of exp expressing the situation of something that is or appears to be enclosed or surrounded by something else, it's hard for us. God is eternal. God existed before anything else. He was there before any understanding we have of a beginning. He's eternal. He always was, always is, always will be. The church we speak in such finite terms, not infinitely. The fourth word, God. Two definitions. In Christianity and other monotheistic religions, God, the creator and ruler of the universe and the source of all moral authority, the supreme being. We would agree with that. Two, in certain other religions, a superhuman being or spirit worshipped as having power over nature or human fortunes, a deity. Okay, we finally come to the real challenge of those first four words, the biggest obstacle. Which God? Which God? Because I hear people talk about God, and they're certainly not talking about my Heavenly Father, my Saviour, my Holy Spirit. Which God? Who, who does the God of the Bible really claim to be? And how do we know his claim to be true? The fifth word in God's love story informs us of his very first claim. The Bible claims that God is the creator. In the beginning, God, the fifth word, created. Yeah. It explicitly says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not just any creator, not like, say, I don't know, Thomas Edison, uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, Nikola Tesla. No, not like any other creator. God claims to be the creator of all things. Our God claims to be the creator of all things. An outrageous claim. Or the simple truth. In the middle section of the Bible where it goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament, uh, the first four uh, books are called Gospels. The fourth Gospel is named John after the Apostle John, credited as being the author of the Gospel of John, and later in the New Testament throughout the letters. The third um, verse in that uh, Gospel of John, chapter 1, reads this, All things were made through him, and without him nothing that was made was made. Yeah. What? All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And later in the letter to the uh, written by Apostle Paul to the church of Galos, or Glossia, some people like to bring it, we see even more details of this claim in 16 and 17. We read, for, by him all things were created, and uh, that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Right? We've got to believe that he creates the invisible as well as what we... Well, this is... Uh, whether thrones or dominions or powers or principalities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in all things consist. So here's our dilemma. If we cannot accept the God of creation, 
who, uh, for who he says he is, then everything that follows becomes questionable. If God is not who he claims to be, then every word of the Bible is rightfully open to doubt. And I put to you, if that's our dilemma, then what's our challenge? And I believe the challenge is to know God, the God of the Bible, intimately. That's the challenge. I don't want an objective understanding of God. I want to go much deeper than that. I want, to, I, want to, I want to learn. I want to study the entire Bible. And, and you say, why? What's, what, what, what do I gain out of studying the whole Bible? Well, I believe that by reading, studying, meditating on the Word of God, the written Word of God, in the Bible we discover God's seven Ps. We discover his perfection. We discover his purpose. We discover his personality. We discover his plans, his principles, his practices, and his promises. God wants us to know him, and he wants us to know him intimately. He's, he's open. He's got an open heart towards us. He's open to share. He's open. He, all we need to do is invest. Church, if I can just spend a minute or two on those um, aspects. We discover his perfection by learning who he is. We do this by obtaining a vast amount of knowledge about God and entering into a particular type of friendship with God known as Lordship. We gain personal proof of the names of God, including, going up on the screens now, the the names of God, and there's uh, quite a few of them. And if we don't have them, I'll start reading them out, but that's fine. Uh, Adonai. Lord Master, uh, El Elon, the Most High God, El Elon, the Everlasting God, El Shaddai, the Mighty God, Uh, Elohim, God, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies you, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Ray, the Lord my shepherd, sorry, Um, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, Shalom, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, exists, Uh, Jehovah, uh, this one always gets me, anyway, you know it, Um, the Lord our our righteousness, Uh, Kwana, the jealous Lord, Uh, and Yahweh, Lord Jehovah. Each name, describes uh, one of his qualities and his capacities. We discover his perfection by knowing and remembering who he is wherever we are and whatever we need. We just have to know him as he describes himself. His purpose, the second P. We discover his purpose early in the Bible. God claims, and I believe it, that he created the heavens and the earth. And when you read Genesis chapter 1 through 25, you see that he was well pleased with his creation. Now, we look around the world today and there seems to be lots of criticism going on about the the state of things. But when God created it, man, he was pleased. In fact, every day, at the end of the day, he'd reflect on his creation and what happened throughout that day. And I don't know if that day was 24 hours or 25 million years. or I, I wouldn't have a clue. Because that hasn't been revealed to me yet. I'm still new. So I think when we look at that, we realise that God May was pleased. He thought that the, 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 the Garden of Eden, the creation, it was so harmonious. It was beautiful. It was almost perfect. And he lacked one thing. 
There did not exist any being, any creature that could relate to God in the way that he longed for. God wants to, he's a personal God. He wants to relate to us personally. But we must have a personality like God for him to relate to us personally. His personality and our personality has to have some way of meshing and, 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 and synchronised and, and get together. Like it's, it's got to have power. So we discover God's purpose in verses 26 and 28 of that same first chapter of Genesis. Let us make men in our own image, according to our likeness. Let them have the dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth. And every living thing, every creeping thing on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, male and female. He created them. Then God said to them, be fruitful. He also blessed them. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's purpose is simple. It's not hard to work out. God wants to have a personal relationship with every member of the human race. Based not on only his choice, but on our choice. God wants us to have a free will, just as he's had a free will. He designed for us to have a free will. He already has us of species and already did have, for whoever knows how long before what we understand is in, he already had species of, 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 of things worshipping him who knew the perfection of God, who understood every name because they'd experienced it on, a, on, a, on whatever timelines you can put that into, whatever days they existed beforehand. Whatever, but he, they existed with him. They knew God and they worshipped him. He wants us to have that same sort of relationship and he wants us to freely choose him. He wants us to do it without duress, without religion, without... He doesn't want pressure. He doesn't want... Yeah. He just wants you, out of your desire of your heart, to say, yes. Yeah. Yes. I want to have that relationship with you. I want to, I want to learn more about your personality. Yeah. And then fourth, the third one is personality. We discover personality by getting to know him personally, as I've said. As with every other relationship, this takes time. Every close relationship you've got in this world has taken time to develop, and we need time with God. We discover that he's somewhat like us. Firstly, we find out that he's emotional. You know, we understand that God has a wrath. You know, God can get angry. But he also has sympathy. He also has empathy. He also has this great compassion. And his emotion shows in tears sometimes. He's just like us, which is coincidental because he said he is going to make us in his own image. So we can relate to this because we were made in that image. We learned that God is the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And as, such a, and as a result of such experience, those experiences we have with God as we grow in relationship with Him, we learn the love of uh, uh, to love. Sorry, the personality of the Father, separate to loving the personality of Jesus, separate to loving the personality of the Holy Spirit. And, and some people look at me like, "What?" But that's my experience. I, I love it when we we we, we go to God and, and just. Know that he understands us before he gets my personality because he created it. I would never have designed me like this. 
but, but he did it. Uh, and he said, I was yet, you know, wonderfully knitted together in my mother's womb, you know, like, God, I've still got to understand about your wisdom. His plans, we discovered his plans by engaging with God through prayer. We've had month of October where we've focused in prayer, and what a wonderful month it was, finishing off of that week of, uh, of fasting, and uh, we're just such a purposeful month, I thought. Um, the last week's uh, message was just incredible. She, Melissa was on fire. Um, I love the... the, the, the that movie, the uh, war room, the whole theme, it just worked. And we walked out thinking, you know what, I've been touched by God this morning. Yeah. I really had. Well, you know, we, 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 prayer is the primary communication with God. We talk to God, we seek Him through prayer. Um, we name who we're speaking to. Sometimes we speak directly to our heavenly dad. Sometimes we say, hey, Jesus. Uh, you know, other times we talk directly to the Holy Spirit. We make our requests to Him through prayer. We express our failings in prayer. We, we ask for his forgiveness, just as we would any close friend who we're disappointed. We discover his plans by reading, studying, and meditating on the contents of the word of God, the, which is the logos word. Logos is the Greek word transcribed as reason, word, speech, principle. In the New Testament, logos appears in 316 verses. In the New Testament, logos is referred to as the constant written word which is recorded in the Bible. We also discover his plans by waiting on God. We seek the rhema word, the lesser known of the two Greek words, logos and rhema. Rhema is the instant personal speaking of God. In the New Testament, rhema appears 67 times. And in some, yeah, yeah I was going to say, in some, no. It's, it's just a shame that I've met so many Christians over my lifetime, my saved lifetime, uh, that just don't sense that they've ever heard the Roman word. And I think to myself, I don't get it. God's not silent. He's a speaking God. His, his written word is a record of his speaking. But that's not all. He continues to speak today. He wants to speak directly to us. By the Roman word, we can know God subjectively. You know, I said before, I don't want to know God just objectively. I don't want to just have knowledge. I, I want to have relationship. Yeah. I can only do that through that personal experience. So God has this joint plan for all humanity. Everyone comes under his plan. But he also has a unique plan for every individual. His principles. We discover his principles by studying the <clears throat> contents of the Logos Word, giving weight to his instructions and commands. In the Old Testament, we learn about uh, the law that was given to the Israelites so they could survive and remain in relationship with him. We also discover that we enjoy their intended benefits by valuing and keeping his principles. We add to these principles when we recognise and accept the gift of himself in the New Testament. He delivered the long-term promise of grace. Indeed, we know that it is um, by his grace only that we now get saved. <clears throat> the practices of God. I, I want to know how God does things, you know. I don't know about you, but I, I, if, I, I started life as an apprentice and I came under a, a, a master, you know, a, a tradesperson, but I, I started life as an apprentice and I wanted to be taught. I wanted to know. I wanted to observe. I wanted to watch. I wanted to listen. I wanted to, I, I just, I wanted to get taught. Not necessarily, you know, in a classroom situation, but I, I just wanted to, to know that there was someone there that was actually able yeah. to give me ways to do things that I didn't know, yeah. and be or, or better ways to do things than I'd previously done them. So, but we discover his practices by journeying with him. 
We, we, just as with other constant um, relationships, we discover how God operates, how he behaves, how he succeeds. We learn um, that we can succeed by following the exemplary life that uh, he led on earth and by applying his principles on how we do life, his promises. We discover his promises through knowledge and experience. According to quite a few Bible scholars, Accounts. There are 3,573 um, <coughs> excuse me, promises in the Bible. Others argue that there are not more than that. If you believe in the purpose, um, sorry, perfection, personality, plans, principles, and practice, I'm going to have to have a drink, and practices of God, then the lo and it's logical that you'll want to know about the promises of God. Again, the knowledge of God's promises comes primarily from studying God's Word. Um, however, in addition to his promises coming through the word, we also can receive the promise through the rhema word of God, through prayer when we're listening to the Holy Spirit, or through a genuine prophecy. Thank goodness that this like church likes prophecy. And thank goodness that it's a man that often delivers that prophecy, the prophecies, that um, has walked the walk and has seen the reality of the word, the strength of the word, the truth of the word, the strength of God's promises over and over and over again. And so he, he, he fabulous, keep, keep prophesying, Pastor Christian. Um, it doesn't always happen within our preferred timelines or exactly how we interpret it, but God's promises, if God promises, sorry, he delivers. Yeah. Church, we can experience and rely upon the seven Ps of God. Nevertheless, I want to just share a few more significant claims of God, if not in any particular order. Remember I referred to verse uh, 3 of, um, of John 1, which claimed all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made was made. I'd like to now draw your attention to verse 1 of the same chapter. We've already had it up on the screen earlier today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah. And then in verse 14, the same chapter we read, and the Word became flesh. Yeah. And dwell among us, and we behold his glory, the glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. By the way, don't we love what grace is doing? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> don't we love? I mean, that's what a ministry. Yeah. You know, man, that, that, that is the that is the the Bible right there with leaks. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so in those two verses, verse one and verse um, fourteen. There's an awesome, there's a tremendous proposition. The proposition that Jesus be recognised globally as not just an historical teacher or a prophet, but as the God of the Logos Word. Again, back to Genesis, this time chapter 3, we're introduced to the arch enemy of God and humanity. That's us, God's creation, according to Genesis 1.26. This enemy named Satan was a fallen and, uh, and failed angel. And he's made a tr this, that, that tremendous proposition I've just mentioned of Jesus being the God of the Logos Word, a deal breaker for millions of people. Combine that proposition with two other verses. First, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, this is the tagline, remember? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except through the Father. No one, sorry, comes to the Father except through me. Questions. These are my questions. Where does God live? Where, where does the Father live? I've only ever known him to live on the throne. That's the only, the only knowledge I have from reading the Word of God is that God the Father sits on the throne. Where does Jesus live? Well, now Jesus lives right next to him. 
The claim that no one comes to the Father except through me is ridiculous for many people. Even some ministers, some, some contemporary ministers and pastors seem to be questioning the truth of that proposition. And then there's verse 1 of the same chapter. Uh, sorry, it's verse 1 of the uh, book, uh, New Testament book, uh, 2 Timothy, uh, verse 3 and verse uh, 16. Sorry, chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is got breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training us up in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Those three scriptures combined along with the fact that it took 40 different writers from different nations speaking different languages over 1,500 years, that makes it easy to understand why so many people reject the Bible as the absolute truth. And so, church, we come to the crunch of it all. Salvation, spending our eternal life in the throne room of heaven, never comes by intellectual capacity. It's not about the mind. It never comes through tertiary qualifications. It never comes through uh, titles given or self-given. Or it doesn't come through our network of, net, uh, sorry, of contacts. Jesus didn't seek to appoint scholars and community leaders to his uh, team of apostles. Jesus clearly stated that his invitation for you to join him in heaven would never be based on passing any tests of knowledge or behaviour. Ephesians 3, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, not of mind, lest anyone should boast. And Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. And church, this is what it all comes down to. It rests, it all rests in faith. There, there, is, there is no sign contract. There is no, there's no consideration in the contract that we have. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not a tangent, it's just faith. It's a heart thing, not a head thing. Yeah. I may not be able to prove to anyone that the Bible, <clears throat> the Logos word is Jesus and that Jesus is God. But no one will ever prove to me that he is not God. Why? Because I don't just rely on knowledge of the God of the Bible. I don't rely, um, because, the reason for that is that he's my friend. I know him as my best friend. Yes, he's my Lord and Saviour. He rescued me and, and has restored my relationship with his Father, who's also my heaven, now my Heavenly Father. My proof does not just lie in the knowledge of who he claims to be. Instead, my indisputable proof is, a, my, is simply my testimony, my, the story of who I was before I met him. It is the story of how he changed me. My proof exists because of the daily experience I have with him. He's always there when I cry out to him. He's always there when you cry out to him, isn't he? He's always there when I want to celebrate a win. We've had a couple of wins this week. I, I wanted, to, I was pumped. I just—he was there, and he always listens and responds, no matter what I'm saying. He's a loving father. He provides for my needs, but he also withholds when I'm not ready for something. And upon the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension to heaven, he asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit, just as he promised his disciples for a long time beforehand. And the Father sent the Holy Spirit. He now lives in me, as he does in every believer. My proof relies in the relentless patience with my stupidity, my lack of discipline, resolve, and his perpetual forgiveness. You can call me a fundamentalist. I, I accept it. Because I believe in the truth of the Logos Word. 
I believe that all scripture is God breathed. I believe that it is the inspired word of God. And I believe God continues to equip us every day. Every time we read the word, we have a choice. The choice is to believe in, agree with, and apply God's seven Ps or doubt, misinterpret, ignore, or even rewrite his Logos word. I want to just say that these seven Ps, that's just the way that I look at it. It's just my approach. It's the approach that God gave me to look and get to know him. But he's got a way of getting you to know him that might be very different than that, and that's fine. There's no, it's, this is not a formula. I'm just kind of sharing a little bit of how, you know, I've, I've got to know God and what he's done. When I look in the mirror, church, um, sadly, where once there was a thick crop of hair, I can now see straight through the hair because it's so thin. <laughs> in fact, when, when Christian was uh, recognising you guys from the back of being ministry for about the same time, I'm thinking, did you start at five? <laughs> but sometimes when I listen to Christians today, I believe, and sometimes I listen to Christians today and what they say and what they believe, I often wonder, how thin is your Bible? In fact, just give me a second. I've got a Bible here. You wouldn't recognise it. It's one of the uh, ones that were printed uh, years ago. Um, but you know, Bibles, the, the written part of the Bible, whether it's um, on a computer or a smartphone or what, it's a book, it's, it's the medium. This is not sacred. This book is not sacred. The contents of this book are sacred. But this, so I, I've, I've just gone through and made sure that I, I kind of got this. What I mean by how thin is your Bible is how many verses have you decided to disagree with? And let me just give you three examples. The perfection of God. If you don't believe in the perfection of God, you've just had to rip out 431 verses containing the word holy. So let's just stop doing that now. <laughs> <laughs> Cost me five bucks yesterday. Okay. What, what about what about you? What about you? Don't believe you know, the whole creation thing. Well, let's just go to oh, one and two of Genesis. What about the promises of God? You know, you'd have to rip out another 3,573 verses. And so on, and so on, and so on. And what are you left with? What are you left with? If I went through here and just started doing that, what, how, how, in fact, let's just... <laughs> what are you left with? How thin is the Bible? What you're left with if, is not only weakened, it's probably powerless. In fact, it just becomes an ideology, doesn't it? It kind of becomes worthless. Our God is a creator, and he is a recreator too. He recreated me, and he can recreate anyone. He can recreate any of the following. Great, it's up there. Your thinking, your behavior, your relationship, your marriage, your vision, your hope, your ambitions, your finances, your career, your business, your strength, and your health. Our God can recreate them all. Church, let us reflect just for a moment on the following question. How thick is my Bible? 
That's a question for all of us. How thick is my Bible? How much of it do I believe? What do I believe about the perfection, the purpose, the personality, the plans, principles, practices, and promises of God? What if there are promises, church? What if there are plans? What if there, what if there are directions? What if there are solutions that you just haven't yet discovered? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Yeah. That Bible, the contents, every part of that is Jesus. The Word's alive. The Bible's alive. Yeah. I don't care about the medium. I choose to use a smartphone or a computer, but I don't. I doesn't matter to me anymore. Yeah. I mean, if I'd done that in the church that I grew up in, man, they'd tar and feather you. <laughs> because there was no other media. <coughs> they'd lost the stones. They'd lost the scrolls. They were just now using a book. The Bible's alive. It's the living word of God. It's, a, it's relevant as today as it has ever been. The word of God, Jesus loved you. The word of God, Jesus he did save you. It's the word of God, Jesus, willing and wanting to deliver every need you'll ever have. Church, can I leave you with one last request? If for whatever reason you've never, or you do not currently study, meditate and word, oh, I'm not, not too quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can come up. But have patience. I'm kidding. I love it. I love it. Um, for, what, um, for whatever reason you haven't or uh, you don't currently study and meditate on the Word, and maybe church is as simple as you don't know how, and that's fine. That's okay. Can I, can I just encourage you? Can I just say that before you leave today, you ask the person next to you, or one of the people on the worship, uh, to the leadership team, you're all the worship team, um, or myself, who could I have a couple with sometime soon to discuss the Bible? Yeah. You know, this little task, this task that you might just complete today, really could be the game changer. Let's wrap up the, um, the whole thing by reviewing the link between the word and worship. Matthew 11.30 says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Joshua 1.8, this is my life verse. The book, of the, the book of the law, this Bible of mine, shall not depart from your mouth, but you may shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then, here comes a promise, for then you will make your way prosperous. And then you'll have good success. Yeah. Church friends, as we... Once we study and read the Word, which means once we personally experience the love and grace of Jesus, once we consume the knowledge of those seven key aspects that I spoke of, then the only reasonable and automatic response will always be to raise our arms and worship our God. Because we truly know yeah. Once we truly know the God of the Word, worship is our only and external, everlasting option. Worship is the only option to the Word. You can't know the Word and won't, I mean, really know the Word. I'm not talking about 
just the objectivity. I'm not talking about the intellectual studying of, of, of words on pages or on, on uh, words on uh, screens. I'm talking about getting into the Word daily, hungry and thirsting for food, the spiritual food that we need. I, I'm, I'm just wanting every day for, for more and more. I, you know, the, 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 the longer it goes on, the more I think, man, you're just so shallow in, in, in this. And what you know, there's so much more, Russell, to know. There's so much more to gain. There's so much more. To, 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 to benefit from. There's so much more in life. There's so many more disciples to be made. There's so much more love to be given. There's so much more to share. There's so much more compassion to have and empathy to have for people. The longer you work, work with God, the more empathy you gain because the more experience of the pain you have. It's not, it's not all roses. We, we've never suggested ever that it's all roses. But my goodness, there's no journey like it. There's no walk. There's no experience. There's no gift like the God of Jesus. The Word, the Logos Word, the Rhema Word. I'm going to ask Pastor Christian if he would come and just share whatever he wants to share. But uh, I I just know... God's been speaking to me, and that's you know my hesitation all the way through, my, my spitting over words. God was speaking to me and saying, "Hey, their faces might not always look like they love this, but I'm telling you, they need this." Fantastic! That was that was amazing. And you just made a few comments at the end there, and, and you know, there's so much more. We can go deeper. The thing is, you don't have to start deep to end deep. Because even Jesus, when he found himself in front of a crowd, he said, he "Hopped into the boat and said, press out into the deep.'" And from the deep, he started teaching. But it's sometimes letting Jesus into your boat or being in the proximity. So we come to church and we're here and, and we're, we're positioning ourselves in the presence and, and in a place where we can receive from it. We're all on a different journey. For some, it's 40 years. For some, it's four days. For me, maybe some of you are checking out church going, is this for me or is it, you know, I'm seeking truth and I'm seeking answers and direction in life. But you don't have to start deep. You just have to start with Jesus. And then Jesus will take you deep. And Jesus will reveal to you what you need when you need it. And everything that was coming, like I'm, this is the stuff I live for, for the, for the Word of God. And I was thinking as Russell was speaking that, it says unless you have faith as a child, you will not see. And so often we think I have to be a theologian or I have to be somebody that, that has done doctrines or I have to no, just start somewhere with the faith that you have and just say, I may not understand, but God, I choose to believe. Because it's in that positioning ourselves of God, you're greater. God, you're beyond your word. It actually says in the scriptures not to, to add a dot or take a stroke from the Bible. That, that we're not to add to or subtract from and and if we actually went back and listened to everything that Russell said this morning, like that, that's one of the first things you learn at Bible college is this was written over generations. 
by multiple authors on multiple continents. And it's the Bible is proven to be mathematically perfect. Mathematically perfect. Science is approved. It's mathematically perfect writing from, from beginning to end. With over four like that stuff blows my mind. But as Russell said, then then bring that all together. What is this book? It's God's love story to you, to you and I. And I don't have to understand it all, but that's what Isaiah 55 says. He says, my ways aren't your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. For my ways are above your ways and my thoughts your thoughts. So I go, okay. And then Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. I'm like, no, no, I trust with my head because that's what I've learned and that's what I know and that's what I've experienced and that's how I've brought up. I see something, you did something, and I trust in what I just saw. He says, no, 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 we live by faith and not by sight. So don't trust your head. Your head will deceive you. Your emotions will just trust your heart. And God speaks at that level, heart to heart, spirit to spirit, soul to soul, through the word, because he is the word. And I, I just I want to give us an opportunity to respond to what Russell said this morning. But in Psalm 1, it says this. It says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the way of sinners, nor stands in the way of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in season. Whatever he does shall prosper. So where he's talking about the plans and the purposes and the practices and the promises, it's all found in the Word. And when I choose to push aside social realities and and contextualize, contextualize where I find myself right now in life with my finances or with my relationships or with my health, when I push that aside and go, I just choose to believe. I just choose to rest on your word. I just choose to, can I encourage you? In Joshua it says, don't let it, don't let this depart from your mouth, but meditate on it. Meditate means to chew on it. To chew as like a cow chews cut, to chew on it and bring it back and to chew on it and to bring it to get the nutrients and the life and the sustenance from it. Can I encourage just start somewhere? Over the course of this month, just start somewhere with a word. Whether it is the gospels, whether it starts somewhere and let God speak to you. But can we just close our eyes? Father, we thank you for your word. So brewingly delivered this word. We thank you for your word, that your word is living and active, that your word is life, your word is light, that you reveal your nature to us through your word, that we see your heart, your goodness, and your faithfulness towards us, your children. Lord, I pray that this word would take root in our hearts today, that we would grow from it, grow through it, and then apply it in our lives. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. For more life-changing messages, visit us online at c3noosa.org. If you've been blessed by this message, please consider partnering with us financially to see the work of God continue flourishing in and through C3 Church Noosa. God bless.